All right, are we ready to get going? So glad you guys are out, come out for tonight. We're super excited. We've wanted to do this, but the Lord has had us on a, besides COVID, (laughs) the Lord has had us in a little bit of a hiding for a while, and we just got permission to come back out on Wednesday nights from him. So we are very grateful that you guys are out tonight. And Katie, when we were praying and talking about doing Wednesday night classes again, she's like, yeah, we're going to do it on evangelism. I'm like, what? Evangelism? I, no. (laughs) No. In fact, last night I was still going, well, you could teach it and I'll just sit in the front and encourage you and be a really good cheerleader because no, no. And she's like, she just gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, okay, Jesus, check my heart. (laughs) You can, but you better have God's no too (laughs) before you tell her no. So here I am. I'm going to teach evangelism with Katie, who is the queen in my life of evangelism. Um, And I have learned a lot from her. So probably a lot of my take on evangelism is what not to do, because that's me. (laughs) I have learned the wrong way. Um, But honestly, as I prayed over it and just began to pray over evangelism and this class, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that we're teaching on evangelism right now because uh, we are about to enter one of the greatest revivals to ever hit America and the world. And it can't happen without evangelism. And I think as believers, uh, one of the things that we talked about is evangelism used to be really big in the church a long, long time ago. And then some people did it wrong, so the church silenced evangelism. And we're going to start out the night with what evangelism is not and kind of discuss that because I think it was a takeout by the enemy. And I believe that God is, is opening doors for evangelism again because he wants the greatest revival to ever hit America to come the world, not just America, but especially in America right now. So I um, am excited about that, you know, and, and we cannot do evangelism well unless we do the things that we did in the last few classes, which is learn about the spiritual gifts and utilize them in our life. Learn um, what it is, what is an idol in my life and surrender in all of those places. And so evangelism is perfect for this season right now, um, despite Angel. So I am excited to see what Jesus is going to do. So we're just going to open in prayer and then going to get started. All right. Anything you want to say prior to? Um, Yeah, I wanted to add some simple notes for you guys. This is going to be about a six to eight week course. So we invite you to join us for all of it if you can. And if not, that's all right as well. On the 21st, Found Ministry is going to be hosting School of the Presence here, which is a Wednesday it starts on. So you're welcome to come to that. Angel and I may be teaching that night anyways, but it'll just be with a slightly different gear than just evangelism. So that will be like a hiccup week. And so just so that you know, um, 
I think that's it. Yeah, but and then that Saturday we will be doing evangelism after mm-hmm. the hosting the presence. We're actually going to go be activated in evangelism um, on the streets. Um, we're not sure of location yet, but it'll be very close in proximity, mm-hmm. um, not too far away. So um, we will be taking vans out and going to be activating. So it's a great activation week, and School of the Presence will help vamp and ramp what we're doing um, in these classes. So it'll be a great way to go practice. And and if you know me, that is like, no, thank you. <laughs> we'll send Katie. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, Jesus is working on that in Angel. So um, I am going to do it. Kicking and screaming, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> As you can see, we're going to be very vulnerable and transparent with you because we encourage your vulnerability and transparency with us too. And I know, okay, listen, I don't do evangelism all the time. I'm not the queen of evangelism, I promise. And we're all going to fall in some spectrum between comfortable and uncomfortable. And so we'll acknowledge that up front that evangelism is pretty uncomfortable. Um, But we're just going to be uncomfortable together and we're going to step into it because it's something the Lord invites us to step into. So if if we have your approval on that and your go ahead with that, then we'll probably get started. Does that sound good? Okay, let's go. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are so good and faithful and that you brought us all together tonight, God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in this place tonight, God. And, and we, just, we just ask that you um, have your way. Holy Spirit, you speak what the Father is speaking tonight nothing more, nothing less. We also ask that you just uh, go deep into our hearts and convict our souls, God. Lord, if there's anything in there that does not belong, especially in the form of evangelism, I ask that you just uproot it tonight, God, that you would just open up truths to us and an understanding of your heart for this tonight, God. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to dive in, uh, and I want to let you know also up front, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to ask them at any point. Uh, if it looks like we're on a roll, just like flag us down and be like, you're losing me, slow down, and I need help, back up a minute. Uh, and we will gladly do that, because we believe this is so important and so timely, like Angel was saying. Some of you may have been aware of the recent events in the community with Community for Unity. And one of the ideals of unity through through the Bible and currently now in our community is that we wouldn't just have unity for unity's sake, but it would be unity that looks like something that does something. And the blessing of unity is that it's a reflection of God, right? And in reflecting God, it should draw men onto the Lord. And so our unity should be something that moves into action. It's love with action, right? And so that's that's the other reason why we are on about evangelism right now. Um, so we're going to start out with what evangelism is not, because I've heard a lot of different things over the years. I even asked someone this week, Hey, what do you think the gospel is? Have you ever shared the gospel? What is that? And they said, well, it's those four books in the new Testament. And I said, well, you're not wrong. (laughs) You're not wrong. The gospels are definitely in the Bible. (laughs) The gospels are books in the Bible. Um, but I've even heard the phrase, uh, maybe you've heard it too, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. 
And that is a really beautiful and profound statement because it encompasses the fact that we should be people that don't just offer lip service, but offer life and character that back the words we carry, right? But if we have this idea of simply doing silent good deeds without ever sharing the gospel, we're only doing part of the gospel, right? So the gospel is partly truth and partly action. And so I wanted to, I wanted to clarify that because sometimes... Um, we can classify evangelism as saying Jesus loves you, God bless you, Lord be with you, God have peace on you, and we're like, shared the gospel just now, do you hear that? <laughs> and we can kind of do that. <laughs> I'm still comfortable, I'm still in my lane. <laughs> and, and, and I want to I wanna encourage us and then call us higher and say it's so much more than that. It is that love, it is that extending a warm invitation of hospitality to a stranger, but it is more. So um, Romans 10, 14 tells us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone who tells them? And so we, we must have more than a, a life that is quietly good. We must also have words that declare truth. And we're going to go into exactly what that gospel breaks down in a minute. But I want to add three verses later in Romans 10, 17. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that means the word of God is that truth that must be in us, that we are living, breathing examples of, but also proclaiming. Okay, so telling people that Jesus loves them is very encouraging, and I don't want you to stop that. Please keep telling people that Jesus loves them. That is absolutely the right thing to do, but it's only part of it. Because when they hear that, they say, oh, how nice, thanks. And that's it. It doesn't lead to repentance. It doesn't lead them to a converted life. It doesn't lead them to be a sold-out lover of Jesus. Maybe, some, maybe sometimes it could, but ultimately, it's so much more than that. <clears throat> so something else that evangelism and the gospel is not, is it is not simply converting someone to Christianity. So in John 6, 44, it says, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. So we must share the good news with people, but then allow the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. Because, so evangelism, the goal of evangelism is to persuade and we want to see people move from darkness to light. We want to see them transform from the kingdom of the enemy into the kingdom of the sun, of the glorious, marvelous sun. And having that aim is going to help us know what to talk about and what things to lay aside. Because evangelism isn't just this data transfer. It's not just a, a knowledgeable discourse between two intellects, right? It's important for us to listen to people, to hear their objections, hear their heart, what's going on in them, who they are, and then to model gentleness because we know that their soul is at stake. We know what it means to truly convert someone. It is a Christian that has a complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ, so much so that they've repented of their lifestyle and unbelief. And this quote, this got me good, so pick up your toes. <laughs> it says, understanding this guards from false conversions, which are the assisted suicide of the church. And what that means is that 
if we just convert someone and say, okay, you're a Christian now, you prayed the prayer, you're done, go home, feel good about that. Yes, and if, but if they didn't actually truly come to a belief of Christ, they're still not saved and they're going to hell. And that, that, is, that is on us. That is our responsibility. Uh, and so I know that feels a little bit heavy, but it's, it's the importance of not just thinking that the gospel is, okay, I got them to pray the prayer and now I'm done and I walk away. And we just call, we call it good, pat us on the back and say what a good deed I've done today. Okay. Yeah, I, I think sometimes we think evangelism is um, just salvations uh, when evangelism is more than just, uh, well, I've gotten four saved this year, so I'm good to go. It, it's evangelism is, is more than just leading someone to prayer. It's walking them through because salvation is more than a prayer, right? Salvation is a journey. And I think we think we're good and done with just um, leading someone to prayer. Yeah. Like I know for me, for example, and maybe some of you have similar stories or wildly different stories, but in my case, when I had first prayed the prayer, I think I was four or five, but I didn't really know what it meant. And I would go to bed every night and I would say my, my little prayers that I was taught to pray. And I was, I'd always tag on to the end, please let me go to hell. Please let me go to hell. Please let me go to hell. You know, I really had no idea. I, that's all I thought was I pray this prayer and I don't go to hell. The end I'm saved. Um, and it wasn't until I got older and I had this capacity of understanding that the salvation means so much more and that salvation requires something of me. It costs me something. It wasn't just a prayer I prayed and now I can live however I want. Now I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, I prayed. So that's it, right? It actually costs something and it, something in me had to change as a response to that. So that's a little, a little fun thing on salvation, I guess, but we won't go too deep into doctrine or anything. I'll pause there and see if you guys have any questions about what evangelism is not. Or if you've had experiences where, where you're like, I saw this, is that what it is? Or anything to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. So she asked if you couldn't hear, I've had the privilege of leading several people to salvation at work and Penny works in a, a mental hospital. And she said, it's illegal for her to follow up with them then. What does she do? Um, and so that's a very good question. Um, I think in my experience, when I've been in situations like that, I try to carry some form of literature like business cards or pamphlets um, that I can offer them that would connect them to somewhere to get dis discipled. So even if like the hospital has a chaplain that they could connect to, no? Okay, or if there's a local church there, um, anything, or you know, our business card here, and you could say you could call a pastor and you could talk to them. Yeah. I, I, th I think the key with that too is is recognizing that yes you've led them to a prayer but make them understand that it it's not the prayer that saves them it's a lifestyle change it's a journey with him it's you can do that discipleship right there on the spot that yeah 
I think the key the key is to remember is I think too often we think that the prayer is good and enough, but we gotta, we've got to recognize that it, it's not about the prayer because the prayer doesn't save them. It's a lifestyle change. It's a journey with Jesus that is salvation. Salvation is a journey. It's not a one and done thing. And too often we present a gospel that says, you're saved now, you're good to go. And, and that's, not, that's not evangelism. So that's just presenting a ticket. It's, it's a free ride. And, and that's not what Jesus did. So it's, it's recognizing that evangelism, yes, lead them into prayer, but make them understand that it's, it's more than just the prayer that saves you. It, it, it's a journey with Jesus forward. Yeah, and even the thing that just keeps bringing to my head right now is I just picture the Father saying, I want a relationship with you. I'm not just handing out a golden ticket to come check out my factory and taste the candy and go home at the end of the day. I want you to be mine. I want to be yours. I want a relationship with you. And like, if you have a relationship in your life with someone that you love deeply, you're not satisfied seeing them once a year. You're not satisfied seeing them on certain holidays for a few hours, like visiting hours. Like you want to be with them. And like that's the cry of the Father's heart. And we in evangelism are ambassadors of the Father's heart, going to people saying, Did you know there's someone who loves you so much that can't stand to be without you? You know, and and when we go through this, so each week, so that you know, we're gonna focus on a different part of the gospel. And so we're going to get into the depths of, you know, what is sin? Why does it separate? What is repentance? What does it look like? How do you lead someone into repentance? But just to highlight something, like the Father's heart, when we go out and we share that heart with people, it, it is, people know what their sin is. You don't have to tell them what's wrong with them. If someone's a slave to sin, you don't have to convince them of it. They know what shackles feel like. They know what bondage is. They, they know their addictions. Like they don't need to convince that they're broken or rejected or abandoned or not worthy. They already have those thoughts filling their minds all day long by the enemy who they belong to. What they don't know is what the goodness of the Lord looks like. They don't know what the heart of the Father feels like. They don't know what acceptance and belonging truly is. And that's what we're ambassadors of. And so as we talk about evangelism, it's not so much about pointing out to them, you're a sinner who needs saved. It's saying there's a place you've always belonged and you feel it and you know you're, you're missing something. You know that something isn't right in your life and I'm here to show you what it is. I'm here to show you that relationship you were created for. And so, whew. yeah. Any other yeah. questions? And Penny, did that answer? Just so you know, we will be covering what it is, so we will be going into that. So, if that helps. Okay. Yes, we. Yeah, yeah, we will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that the goal of evangelism is to lead into discipleship, plug them into a discipleship process. Yeah. I will say it takes two different skill sets to be an evangelist or a discipler. Like there's, there's different, um, 
I don't, I don't know, models or techniques that are enforced when you're sharing the gospel versus discipling someone in their walk and journey mm-hmm. with the Lord. So as you're evangelizing, it's persuasive. The goal, the goal is to share it in a way that they understand what's missing and what they're in need of. Um, because like at the end of the day, you want them to make the decision to follow Christ. Like Mm -hmm. you want them to be in a loving relationship with him. Um, and then with, with discipleship, it is this long, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's forbearing. It's there's patience involved because, uh, consider your own life and how long it's taken you to learn a lesson, right? And to be someone who walks with someone as they're learning those lessons, Mm -hmm. that's a long suffering. It's a patience forbearance that we do with them. Mm -hmm. Um, or sorry, evangelism can take place over time. Not saying that it can't, but more often it it happens over a shorter time period. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but evangelism always leads them to discipleship. You know, the goal of evangelism is to plug them into discipleship. So I, th- I think they go hand in hand oftentimes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you bring someone to the Lord that you're the one that has to disciple them either because there are people whose gift sets I, I, I'm okay at it, but it, it's, I don't, I'm not good at it. It's not even, I'll, I'll do it because God calls me to do it, but it's not what I spend the most time at because it, my gift sets are different in the church. So so yeah any other questions or we'll move on to what is the gospel sure we're actually gonna we're actually gonna get into that we are it's down under who is how doing evangelism. <laughs> Dingo. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good question. Any other questions? Okay. So here is what the gospel is. This is an overview of what the gospel is, and we're going to break it down each week more specifically, but... The gospel literally means good news. It is, and it, and it needs to cover three major areas. The first area is why we need to be saved. So why do we need to be saved? Well, we have sin and separation from God, which we know from Romans 3.23, which says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So we are in sin. We are separate from God. And then Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that, that's the first point. Why do we need to be saved? It's because of our sin and separation from God. The second part is how can Jesus save us? How can he save us? Who he is, his death, and his resurrection. And we have 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and it says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And then the third point, so that was the second point, how can, how Jesus can save us, who he is, his death and resurrection. And then our third point is what we must do to be saved. So the first is why, the second is how, and the third is what, what we must do to be saved. And that is repent and believe. And so from that, we have Romans 10, 9 through 10 and verse 13. And it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sure. Romans 10, uh, verses 9, 10, and 13. So evangelism is the presentation of the good news. Mm -hmm. Mm And, and like Katie said earlier about it's not just a, li- it, it, it is a lifestyle, but too often we use a lifestyle of good as our evangelism. And, and evangelism is a presentation of the gospel. It's a spoken, it's presenting the good news to somebody. And that is our joy. We Mm -hmm. get to share Mm -hmm. the gospel. We don't have to, but we get to. Mm -hmm. And it is a joy and a privilege because when you see those dark eyes get filled with light and they sparkle and they smile, you're done for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are absolutely done for. You are wrecked when you watch someone transfer from darkness into light. Mm -hmm. It is a real transition that occurs Mm -hmm. and it is beautiful. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. And it will be glorious and the Lord will be glorified. It's going to wreck you and you're never going to stop. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Okay. Mm. So the purpose of, of evangelism is Mark 16 verses 15 through 18. And this is a great verse. Okay. So this is one of the four great commissions that Jesus gives us. Um, There's no specific reason we chose Mark. Any of them would do. It was just the one that I had memorized. So um, it tells us, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Um, So one of the things that I want to point out is that the word saved here, we often equate it to this salvation of the soul. But it is sozo, and it is an all-encompassing salvation of mind, body, and soul. It is this complete transformation inside out. And so it is healing for our physical body. It is salvation, the transference of our soul from dark to light. It is mental salvation, that mental health would be healed. It encompasses it all. And so that makes our Lord the Lord of, of healing all things. So that salvation is, is that healing and transference. It's all-encompassing. So that's something that I just think is beautiful. Like when you evangelize, whoever you're talking to in the moment, if they're like, 
I don't really know that I need to accept Jesus. And you're looking for different angles to, to share the gospel with them. You could ask them other questions like, well, do you struggle with mental health? Do you struggle with depression, anxiety, um, addiction? And they're like, well, yeah, I got all that. I say, well, did you know that when Jesus saves, he heals you and delivers you from all that stuff too? And then they go, huh, you know? So, th- so it's, it's this all-encompassing thing. Someone might say, well, I don't think I need Jesus. I, I don't want a new relationship in my life. I've got enough or whatever. There's something they have need of that Jesus is the answer for. Yeah. What I love about this verse, and this has been my conviction um, as I've meditated and prayed and just in this season of isolation, the Lord's really just been convicting me in areas that are not refined. And this is one of my areas. Evangelism is my area right now. And, um, is he says, go into all the world and preach, you know, we, well, I can preach with my life. They can see I'm good. <laughs> they can see Jesus on me, <laughs> but preaching is word spoken. And I think it's something the church has gotten far, far away from is speaking the good news to those around us. And that is why darkness is growing in our land is because no one is speaking the good news. We are no longer preaching. We're just trying to show them with our life. And God is really convicting me that it's more angel. Yes, that's a part of it. That's a piece of it. But I need you to start preaching. And it stop preaching just in church. Preach outside the walls. Go into all the world and preach. And so that is my conviction. That is why I did not want to share that story. So you will see Jesus is really good about just let me be raw. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. 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 Absolutely. You can't have one without the other, and we'll actually get in a little bit. It's it's. There's two greats in the Bible. It's the Great Commission, which is go into all the world, and the other one is the Great Commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. You can't love the Lord if you're living a life that is different than what lines up in here. And you can't love yourself and you cannot love others, which is part of that great commandment. So it's it's both, you're right. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up because when we do the evangelism through the Bible, um, it's something that I've been studying and I I won't spoil it, but we're gonna get into that. (laughs) Yeah. So the other part of this, it says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that is the other unction and urgency in our spirit that, that tells us to go is yes, evangelism is uncomfortable, but I'm far more uncomfortable knowing that people are dying and going to hell, that people are currently living in condemnation far from God. And to know that to pass people by on the street breaks my heart thinking, what are they living with? What are they experiencing? What lies do they believe about themselves that could be completely eradicated if they knew Jesus Christ? And so if I could simply say truth to them and bring healing words of honey to them in the form of the gospel, and there's wisdom in how you share the gospel, right? It's not just, you're a sinner, you need the Lord, okay, clean up your life, because that's not honey, that's not gracious, that's not respectful, So if we do it in wisdom, it brings healing. It brings relief to people. And our word should be water to them, water to the thirsty, right? I'm so glad we're talking about this. (laughs) Okay, so while we were praying today, I I just, 
so backstory. I'm in a Bible school right now where I have to, I have to inductively study the Bible and we go through 16 books of the Bible really in depth, verse by verse, language, culture, history, whole nine yards. And listen, I thought I knew the Bible. I thought I was a good Christian, but that adage is true. The more, you know, the less, you know, (laughs) the more I'm learning, I'm like, I don't feel like I know any of this. This is amazing. As much as I've learned in the past six months, it makes me feel like I knew nothing prior. And so one thing that, that we're doing is we're going chronologically through the Bible and starting at the very beginning with God's original design. And so I just want to walk us through evangelism through the Bible because y'all, I didn't even know it was there in the Old Testament. And so I don't have all of my verses mapped out. Would it be helpful if I wrote down my verses first for you? Yeah, that would be helpful. Okay. Sure. So uh, one of the really cool things is is Pastor has been taking us through this Holy Spirit um, uh, Bible study and Sunday mornings, and his verse has been the call of Adam and Eve, which was what? Those of you who are going to our church, what was the call of Adam and Eve? To multiply and subdue the earth. That was the very first call to evangelism multiply and subdue the earth take light and dispel darkness multiply and subdue the earth and so when we were processing this today and she's talking um and i don't want to jump the gun but it's all throughout the entire bible about evangelism and multiply and subdue the earth and subdue the earth is literally get rid of darkness, bring light and dispel darkness in the world. And as believers, we've brought a whole lot of light in our buildings and left it there. We aren't subduing the earth very well (laughs) because darkness is growing and light is getting dimmer. And, And I just, as we look at scripture through this and this piece just this is my undoing just so you know that this this process this what we're about to share this stuff this has been my undoing in the season of as as a believer as as angel lecher what have i done to dispel darkness outside these walls what have i done to preach the gospel outside of these walls and and it's my conviction that you know one of the things i i um had a very embarrassing Sunday morning here um, where I was so wrecked. I heaved, grieved for hours. I didn't leave church till three o'clock. Everybody just left me at the altar. My husband's like, we're going to go to lunch. Do you want me to bring it? I'm like, I just need to be here. <laughs> and I heaved, grieved because it, it was a, a godly sorrow that led me to repentance where, Angel, you are really good in a lot of areas of your life, but in this next season, I need you to get this right. And, and this has been my undoing of what am I doing to subdue darkness outside? And, and I do that, I do that okay. I, it's easier because I can train and equip and send out and those things, but I am not preaching the gospel. And so my undoing in this season is, uh, you know, I, I just feel like every time I teach, the Lord's convicting something new, which that's salvation journey, angel, so get over it. 
And so this is my conviction right now is evangelism and love and what love really is. It's dispelling darkness. It, it's, it's quieting the voice of the enemy in the land. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to go on a journey? Here is ready. Uh, okay. If I get a little ahead of myself or I get a little too fast, just give me a little signal, okay? So, oh, man. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to talk about, so can you see my verses up here? I try to write them real big for you, um, and I'll, I'll try to repeat them a lot and go slow. So our first one is Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and that's where we see God's original design for man. Like Angel just said, um, I'm going to reiterate it, and I'm going to read us the text. So it says, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish over of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on this earth. And like Angel just said, this was our original call. So I want you to picture, okay, when, when God created Eden, it had, it had a specific amount of space that it encompassed. Eden wasn't over the whole earth at this point. Because when you, when you look through chapters one and two, uh, and even a bit into three and four, you begin to see that, you know, it's bordered by these rivers. It goes to this extent and it, it has boundaries. It is a land. It is like a, a portion that the Lord created and he created a specific portion of it with the intent to have his people expand it, that Eden would not just be one place, just like us in the church. You could, you could correlate it to that. That, like she said, our light isn't meant to be conti- contained and confined to one place. We're supposed to go outside the church. So Eden was their refuge. It was their home. And they were called to expand it and increase it on the earth. That they would cultivate the earth. That it would look like Eden. That they would pour it out and go there for. Right? So this is the original, if you will, missionary call of God. That his people would not remain in one place for their whole life. That they would go that they would expand, that they would cause influence and the Lord's glory to cover the earth, okay? Now we're going to go to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and this is the call of Abraham. So this is where we begin to see what we consider the the, the promised land, the the promise of God's um, favor on his people. So the call of Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, we see this reiteration of this missionary call of God. That God's heart is that all of his people would be in relationship with him. That all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. That there would be this covenant between him and all the people. Okay? 
We're going to jump to Genesis 28, 13 through 15. Now, this is Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? So it's his grandson. And Jacob gets his own encounter with the Lord. When he's traveling, he stops at this place, lays down his head on a rock, takes a little nappy nap. And it says here in 13, and behold, the Lord, uh, yeah, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So again, we hear this reiteration of the original design of God from Genesis 1, calling them and saying, the dust of the earth. When you see dust, you never see one speck of dust. It's a collection of dust. When you see sand, it's not just one speck of sand. It's, it's a whole collection of sand. So there is this element of multiplication spoken there. And again, you shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. We see this going, this mobility of God's dream and vision for his people. Okay, with me so far? Doing okay? Okay, we're going to jump to Deuteronomy 4. So th this is where I was like, we had to study Deuteronomy. I was like, <laughs> nothing good comes out of the law. <laughs> you like trudge through these books, right? January 1st, you start your, your Bible reading plan. You get, to, you get around this point and you're like, I'm done. I can't make it any further, right? I can't be the only one. <laughs> the, the, yeah, you, you get to these and you're like, really, God? Is there anything? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, Deuteronomy racked me. There is so much behind Deuteronomy that, as an American church, we have no idea about. Sermon for another time. Specific to this point, Deuteronomy 4, 1, and then 6 through 8, um, we see the missionary call of God to a nation. It's no longer just to one person, because by now, thousands of years have passed, and they are no longer just a collection of families. They are now thousands of people. So it says in Deuteronomy 4.1, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So here we see that the promise of, of Genesis 1, subduing the earth, they're taking possession of the land. Okay, jumping down to verse 6 through 8. It says, keep them and do them, referring to the statutes and the laws, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all of these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So, so we know that through scripture, God has set apart his people, right? They're this peculiar bunch. They're his treasure. Israel his, is his favorite. And for me, I always looked at that and thought, man, I feel like a bunch of chum compared to Israel. Does God really want me? Like if there is favorite, who am I? Do I matter? But 
what it means for Israel to be a special set apart nation is that they were like a light set on a stool up high to shine light to others. They weren't set apart to say, these are mine and no one else's because we just heard the reiteration three times now that God wants all the families of the earth, all the nations, even before the Gentiles are welcomed into the, into salvation through Jesus's death. We see that God's original design was always for all people, always for them. But here, when he sets them apart is that they would have more influence that they would be a light that's an example set above for other nations to look on and be influenced by, that they would be a leader of other nations. So again, there is this reiteration of the missionary call, but now it's to a whole nation, that they'd be set apart to be a light to them. And I'm going to jump to Deuteronomy 7, because here we see the blessing of this obedience so Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 13. And because you've listened to these rules and you keep them and you do them, the Lord your God will keep you, keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. So he is giving this profound blessing to them for being ones that were created to be a light, right? So they were supposed to, to live in such a way that others would look on them and know that God is who God says he is. They're called to use their influence for a purpose. Yeah, I just want to say, I think often we think of multiply and we think, oh, have more children. But he says in this, this promise, so that you will multiply and bless the fruit of your womb. Those are two separate things there. So we often, when we think of multiplication, even with Adam and Eve, we thought, well, have children. It's not just have children. It's multiply like Christ, those like Christ. It's multiplying who we are in Christ throughout the land, not just more children. Multiply, make disciples. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Any questions so far? You with me? You with me on journey? Yeah. Okay. So, um, Marielle, you made that great point about not letting our actions be the opposite of our words, right? That is what Israel ended up doing. So I want to take you to Amos 2, 12 first. Um, I realize I forgot a verse up there. We're also going to do Amos 9, 11 through 12. But first, Amos 2 through 12. 12. So a little bit of history on Amos. Amos is a prophet um, who was a prophet during King Jeroboam II's reign and um, another king whose name I suddenly forget. But (laughs) King Jeroboam II was an evil king and Amos was sent by the Lord to call him to repent. He was leading the nation in idol worship. He was leading the people to do wicked things, following pagan rituals, um, all kinds of abominable things. And the people of of Israel were just going along with it. And so I'm going to actually back up to verse 9 
And so this is Amos's judgment against them. This is what they did wrong. This is how they sinned against the Lord. Um, actually verse 10, it says also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is the Lord speaking through Amos to his people. It was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? So the Lord is saying to them in this passage, you forgot me. I had a covenant with you and you forgot me. You walked away from me. What, what happened to, I was faithful to you, and now where are you? I was bringing you into a land to possess. I made you great and precious promises, and you've walked out on my gifts. You've walked out on my promises. And then this is the pinnacle of their sin, verse 12. But you made the Nazarites to drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. So the Nazarites... <clears throat> I didn't know who they were when I read this, so I had to do some research. And so if you're sitting there going, who are they? Thank you for asking. Let me tell you. <laughs> so the Nazarites were someone that were considered holy and set apart even more so than the Levites. They were called to take special covenant and vows with the Lord, that they would abstain from alcohol, that they'd abstain from impurity, that they would live like monks, that they would live very pure, very committed to the Lord. And Israel, who were called to be this city on a hill, this light before man, used their influence to corrupt the most pure. They had taken a vow not to drink, and Israel had led them to drink. And the prophets, who were set apart to be holy messengers of God, they, they belittled the words of the Lord, and they told them, stop prophesying. It's not welcome here anymore. This is the pinnacle of, of their sin that God said, that's it. I will press you down in your place. It is because of the influence he gave them that they misused. So I know that's like, whew, man, geez. Okay. <laughs> There's hope because in the midst of judgment, there is always God's mercy. In the midst of every one of the prophets, while there is bad news, there is the hope of restoration from the Lord. And so we're going to look at chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. This is the restoration and hope that the Lord wants to bring. He says, But in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Eden, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. And so the Lord wants to restore their identity and purpose. They, in their midst of their sin, he sees them and says, You know what? I remember why I created you, and I'm not done. We are going to restore this, and we're going to get you back on track, and you're going to possess the land. You are going to be ahead over all the nations, and you're going to walk in your influence, right? So now we're going to jump to Acts 15. This is to bridge the gap between Old Testament and New Testament. So in Acts 15, um, Peter and James actually quote the book of Amos. What we just read, they quote. So what's happening here is um, in the book of Acts, they're standing before the, the council and they're giving an account. And, and Peter gives this incredible testimony about including the Gentiles. Okay, so starting in verse 7. 
It says, Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. See, that was God's original design all along. Not that anyone would be separate, not that anyone would be lost or perish. And he made no distinction between us and them. None, never once sorry, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. To them, that was a surprise, but it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been. They studied the law. They knew the promises of God, yet they doubted, like we do. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. And this is Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord in all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known of old. Therefore, my judgment is not that we should trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things that have been polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For years, ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every, every Sabbath in the synagogues. So this is just so powerful because there is this streamline of the gospel and the call to be missionary and evangelical from the beginning. It was always a part of God's plan for us, that he would include all people in salvation and that we would be the ones that are chosen to go and share the gospel sorry, last scripture, is second, first Peter, oops, I almost forgot it, first Peter 2, 9, <clears throat> it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and then verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, and so we are now in this collective that God who wanted to do this from the beginning is saying to us, use your influence wisely. I created you to be a city on a hill, a light before men, to share the gospel, to multiply, to subdue evil, to bear fruit. And that is the joy that the Lord has given us. And yeah, does that make sense? Oh yeah, go ahead, Marla, Mar Marielle. Yeah. Right. So I think there's a thing that we should have missed there is that when we evangelize, it's about God's truth. Like you have to use whatever culture or whatever system you're raised yeah. on. Mm -hmm.
Yep. <laughs> that is so true. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. makes so much sense can I go on something or do you have something no go ahead so I do want to touch this before you go on okay so what you're talking about right now we studied out in Ephesians and looking at the wrestle between the Jews and the Gentiles because it's seen throughout all of the churches and I think it's so funny because we just did this walk through the Bible where God always wanted all peoples all families to be his and if the Jews who knew God's law they saw this, but I, I don't know if it was, it was just part of it was spiritual pride where they were like, no, 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 it's for me. It's not for you. <laughs> but there is this consistent wrestle through many of the churches. And in Ephesians, it talks about the dividing wall of hostility and the temple in the old times. I don't think I have a picture of it, but the temple in the old times, there was a space for the Jews and then a space for the Gentiles. And it was in the outer courts. And that was the only place they were allowed to go to worship. And there was this dividing wall and there was hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. They looked down on them as pigs, as dirty, as filthy, as scum. And so, and we don't do that at all today. (laughs) Never. Um, And so, The Lord wanted to break down this dividing wall of hostility between the two. And actually, when we see Jesus in the temple, whipping, turning over tables, do you know where they were? They set up tables in the court of the Gentiles, in the only place that these people could even attempt to worship the Lord. And Jesus' rebuke to them said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And he rebuked them again, saying, this is supposed to be a place for everyone. What are you doing? And so just to further emphasize that, it is for everyone. And they're in, in all the different um, church letters, they wrestle with that. Well, they don't look like us. Do they need to be circumcised? You know, should the woman be quiet? Should this or that? And they're constantly wrestling and pulling at their culture versus mine. And there is a time and place to surrender your right to your culture. <laughs> we have to surrender our right to it, to thinking we know what's best, to pulling our patriot, patriotic, heterosexual, whatever, and saying, I have a right to X, Y, or Z, and I especially have a right to let them know why I know I'm right. Mm-hmm. We have to submit that right. Because mm-hmm. though we know truth, it is important to be wise and to make the most of our time. Right? So, go ahead. Yeah, we're actually going to get into that a little bit more on things that keep you from evangelism. Um, That's one of the big keys right there. But uh, one of the things that we talked about is um, a few years ago, they did the send, Lou Engel did, and there was this huge, huge crowd, a huge group of them from Britain. They were coming to America to become missionaries here. 
And I, like that wrecked me. And so when we were processing today and just talking about this and seeing, you know, right from the get-go, the call of evangelism has always been there. And, and the thing that I said is, what would happen if Christians in their own community began to evangelize? We wouldn't need people from Britain to come evangelize America if Christians rose up where we're that, they were at. And we wouldn't need missionaries anywhere in the world if the church stopped keeping their light inside the building and started getting it outside of the building and started preaching the gospel outside of these walls, a gospel that Jesus came with, not our form of gospel. So it just, when I heard that a few years ago, that was the beginning of the Lord saying, it's time to be, go and preach, and here I am. So <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, so, some countries think all of America is saved, and then other people look at it and go, "How are you really all saved, though?" Yeah. What's What's coming out in your movies and music? Hmm? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's that's just our call. That that I believe that's God's call for the church, the body of Christ, right now across the land. Is is I, we wouldn't need missionaries if the church was just the church the way that I intended it to be because we are all called to be evangelist and which leads us right into who is called to be an evangelist you know and the separation um we're all called to do evangelism so Ephesians 4 11 and 12 is the fivefold which uh, Melissa brought forth earlier and it's the fivefold ministry and um is everybody good before we move on to who is called Everybody good with seeing evangelism throughout scripture? Did anyone else know it was there? Because I didn't. <laughs> did you Did you realize that evangelism was there from Genesis? I had no idea. We were sitting there talking, and actually what it, what, what it came from was I was like, I hate when people are like, I'm a missionary in my own backyard. I donate to Salvation Army and drop off a bag at Goodwill. And I'm like, that's not being a missionary. And I was like, being a missionary is going. Like, you have to move. You have to be uncomfortable. <laughs> you have to preach. Yeah, I was like, there Speak. is so much more. And then she was challenging me, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Let me think a second. Because, like, I don't have a problem if you're really doing evangelism here in Dubois. I'll have a problem if you're really doing ministry here. Like, yes, Lord, come on, save Dubois. Let's go. But, like... If, if you're just saying, I give to my local church, I'm a missionary, I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetie, hate to burst your bubble, but it's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot dirtier than that. Like you, you got to clean toilets and stuff. And <laughs> but anyways, and so as we were talking, I was like, wait a minute, let's go through the Bible and let's see. And as we were going through it, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually here from the beginning that all people are called with a missionary call to go maybe not out of your country maybe not that far but we are called to get out of our comfort zone mm -hmm. yeah we are called to get outside of the church for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go ahead yeah so ephesians 4 11 and 12 is the fivefold ministry see and i think we think i'm just going to assume maybe none of you in this room is well there is there's a call to evangelist 
so I don't have to evangelize. But see, there's a difference between evangelism and, and the, the calling or the office of evangelist. And he, this is talking about evangelist. So the fivefold ministry, which is the prophet, the apostle. Yeah, go ahead and read the verse. And he gave the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the office of evangelist inside the church is to equip the saints for evangelism. The office of the prophet is to equip the saints for the call on their life. The, the office of pastor is to build up. To, so there is an office of evangelist, but it's to equip the saints to become evangelist and to evangelize. Mm -hmm. So there is a difference between the two, but it's to equip you to become an evangelist. Yeah, we're all called to hear God's voice as his children, as his beloved. Of course, he wants to speak to us and he wants us to hear him and he wants to share dialogue with us. But if we say, oh, only the prophet gets to hear God, we are missing out. And and again, I don't want it to feel like evangelism is this burden we have to carry, but it's a joy that we get to do. We, we did that one. That was yeah. a different one. Yeah. Yeah. So moving right into what, did that answer your question, Alyssa? Okay. Um, what keeps me from evangelizing? And this is where it gets hard and heavy because this is the seven things that keep, kept Angel from evangelizing. And I'm sure one, if not all, has kept you at one point in time in your life. And... Um, Yeah. So, so I just pray that as, as I read off these seven areas in my life, I want you to check your heart. Like we, there, there's a purpose for these class. It's not just to teach. It's so that you go. It, it's so that, that you begin to see those around you the way that Jesus sees them his beloved children who do not know me because my beloved children have stopped going to preach. So, um, so the first one was for me is fear of rejection and getting it wrong. It always kept me on the sidelines. Um, and rejection is a stronghold, man. If you've been rejected in life, it will keep you down and keep you tied up for a really long time. You need to deal with a stronghold and you can't cast a stronghold off of you. You have to pull it down. And the only way to pull it down is to go through the trauma that rejected you in the first place. So, um, I, John and John and Lisa Bevere say this in their marriage class is clear the deck. So I had to clear the deck of rejection in my life so that I was willing to go and be rejected. We as believers have to clear the deck in our lives of strongholds that keep us from sharing the gospel. And I'll tag on to that, but with that, we also have to lay down our right to being accepted. That's right. Because if our acceptance is in Christ, we don't need it in the form of approval from man. Yeah. And so we have to lay down that right to have man's approval. 
we have to lay down the idol that man's approval can take in our life. And we have to lay down the right to thinking we know it all. The second piece of that was getting it wrong. You know, I, I didn't want to look foolish and get it wrong. Well, guess what? You're going to get it wrong. And it's fun. (laughs) 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 Listen, I tell you what, if you go in guns blazing and you're like, I'm going to look like a fool, that's how this is going to go. Then, then when you do, you're like, that wasn't a failure. I succeeded at my aim (laughs) and they got saved. (laughs) I'm I'm telling you this girl lives it and that's why I just that's why I was like you teach (laughs) you teach because she does it it's beautiful it's fun to watch it freaks me out in a really big way and takes me far outside of my boundaries and walls and comforts um but it is beautiful and fun and the results even in rejection are always amazing Number two, lack of time. One of the things that I hear in every country that I go to is Americans are just too busy. We are too busy to preach the gospel. My schedule does not allow me. I've got to get to the store and I got to get home because I got a thousand and one things I need to do when I get home. So lack of time. You know what lack of or uh, lack of time is code for? I'm I poorly managed my priorities. <laughs> I'm really sorry. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's lay down our right to our time, folks. Your time is not your time. Your time is the Lord's. Yeah. Ooh, hey did you hear that? Busy is say it again. Being under Satan's yoke. Youch. Thank you for that. Yeah, mine was you can't work your way into heaven. You can only surrender your way. And surrendering my time was one of the areas that God's really challenged me in over the last two years. Yeah, busy for me was something that the Lord has been working on me in. Uh, earlier this year, He said to me, "Katie, give me your busy." Because I would constantly say, I can't, I don't have time, I'm busy. So we finally said, okay, then give me your busy. (laughs) We're done with this game. I want you to do what I want you to do. And it is important (laughs) and crucial that we do, we surrender that yoke of busyness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I went through this experience where when I first came back from YWAM, we started this morning worship group and we would come and sit at the Lord's feet starting at like six in the morning and we'd worship and we wouldn't go to the Lord relented and allowed us to leave. And sometimes that wouldn't be until eight, nine, 10. Thankfully we were a little bit more flexible with our schedules at that point, but we would be looking at our watches thinking, I really do have work I have to do today. How am I going to get it done? But there's that principle of of tithing, right? When we tithe 10% to the Lord, he multiplies it back. It goes into the storehouse of heaven. We have access to it, right? If we tithe our time to him, it is the same business model. He multiplies it back to us. Yeah. 
Yep. And, and man, what happens with busyness too, is when you surrender your yeses to everything because you're trying to meet everybody else's needs and only pick up his yeses for your life. Uh, it's amazing. Sometimes I cram more in a day with his yeses than I did with my yeses. And I think, I am so energetic and full of life. I don't understand this. It's what happens. It's, it's a kingdom principle. It is not an earthly principle. It doesn't make sense only in his way and his time, but it's, it's only doing his yeses because when you do his yeses, when you run into the store, you will see all the needs around you. So, which leads me right into number three, which is not paying attention to those around me because of busyness. But really, um, a conviction for me with this one, I was sitting in a tattoo parlor (laughs) with a man, uh, it's my cousin, and I, I, he says he saved. Yeah, he's probably not. Um, But he, uh, he brought conviction on my life because he said, I was standing in the grocery line the other day and I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling and I didn't know what was going on, but it was going, this lady in front of me, it was going nowhere. And I'm standing there, standing there and I was getting really, really frustrated with her. So I put my phone aside. This is, this is the tattoo guy. Put my phone aside and I looked up and I realized that her card had been de- declined. And he said, so I stepped up and I paid for it. He said, uh, so from now on, I no longer take my phone in with me to places so that I can be more aware of those around me. And I just went, holy heck. <laughs> I just got schooled by a tattoo artist and I don't even know where he is with Jesus. But man, our phones distract us from the activity of God around us. And we are just not even aware of the needs around us that God wants us to meet because of our lack of attention. So that keeps us from preaching the gospel. Number four, we use excuses like not my call, not my gift. I'm an introvert. I am shy. Well, God didn't say I only call all the extroverts to evangelism. He said, go into all the world to everybody. That is our call. That is our mandate. And I'm going to tell you right now, one of my healing points is I realized that the, the enemy had deceived me by telling me I was shy. Shyness is not an attribute of God. It's an attribute of the enemy. Introvert is a personality. Shyness is a lie from the enemy. You can be an introvert and still talk to people and be okay. You just do it less than extroverts. (laughs) (laughs) so don't don't use the excuse that you're an introvert and you're shy because that is an excuse not to go number five I have no love and compassion for those around me and quite honestly I didn't but it is something God is convicting me of and he is changing in me It's the two greats. It's the great commission and the great commandment. I am commanded to love. Commanded to love. Love looks like something. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of those attributes of love that Jesus is, we're supposed to love others with. And if we don't have that in our lives, then we better get on our face until we do. 
because he's the only one that can make you turn from a person who is cynical to the world and begin to love them enough to preach. And number six, this one is the big owie for me, and this will line up with what we've already talked about. I see sin instead of a child of God. I see lifestyles instead of a child of God. A lot of people see behaviors instead of. That's right. And the Lord began to speak to me on this very thing. He says, Angel, I I need your heart to break for what breaks mine. And if you only see sin, you'll never be broken over it. You'll just be angry about it. And you'll Bible thump. And you'll present a gospel that's less than. So, So how do you know if you see behaviors or lifestyles or sin? Let me just throw a couple of names out. Um, Sean Boltz did this. He said, this is how you know you see lifestyle sin. I'm going to say some names and the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear them. <laughs> you ready? Donald Trump. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Jeffrey Dahmer, Michael Jackson, Ellen DeGeneres. Did you see a child of God or did you see sin and behaviors? Yep. Man, we have got to get to a place where we stop seeing lifestyles And we see beyond behaviors, and we see them the way Jesus sees them, and stop cursing them with our mouth, and love them into the kingdom, pray them into the kingdom. It is easy to see sin. It is easy to see lifestyles. Jesus loved the one in front of him. He didn't call out their sin. He eventually calls out their sin, but he loved them first. We got to start loving people and stop addressing sin and behaviors and love them into the kingdom so that that sin and behaviors begins to affect their heart and they change it with Jesus because we were not called to judge the world. We are called to judge our brothers and sisters but we are not called to judge the world. We're called to love the world. You know, people who need love the most ask for it in the worst ways, right? And where there is sin, there is a wound. Because how can someone experience sin, which is the enemy's kingdom in darkness, without having any evidence of him on them? And here's a, a flaw in our logic. We get mad at sinners for sinning while we have not yet offered them the gospel. And so we like to point a finger, but we have to make sure that we are adequately going and sharing. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. And I tell you this because I don't want you to be condemned of hypocrisy in your days or of judgment and of harshness and bitterness towards people. When you stand before God, I want you to be clean and pure, a spotless bride. Right? And so we love. See, when we only see sin in people or that's the first thing that we notice, it tells me that my lens 
is in the enemy's camp and not God's camp. Because God doesn't see that. He sees his son. He sees his daughter. So, yeah, that was my, yeah. 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 Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, we are called to be like Christ. <laughs> yeah. That's been my undoing. Just so those were my six, and then Katie added the seventh. So just so you know that the seventh wasn't mine, but it's the truth. Because we live in a lesser gospel, and number seven is we don't believe in hell anymore. I cannot tell you how many Christians I've talked to that does not believe in hell. It's, it's, it's mind it, it just blows my mind. But, but I also have to remember, I grew up in the church. So that's a difference. So we have to remember that when we're, we're evangelizing is they didn't grow up in the church and they can't comprehend the fact that there is a hell. So we have to love them into the kingdom. Don't see that as, as a stopping zone for them. Um, hell wasn't created for us. It's, it, that's my, I, hell was not created for you. It was not. It was, it was created for our enemy, the enemy of your soul, and he wants to take everybody with him to that place. So it's, it's, but unfortunately, there are a lot of believers preaching a gospel that everybody makes it, and, and there is no hell, so you're okay where you're at, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're a homosexual, they're, 
people in the pulpit, mm -hmm. um, and they see nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be taken into consideration mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and that, uh, that's the other thing, too, is, is we'll get into the gritty details of evangelism as we, as we go, um, but evangelizing is not, like Katie said, pointing out sin in people's lives. You have to, it, it comes in relationship. That, that's a part that comes in relationship, and it's God's conviction that, that brings them into repentance. Um, but if they ask you something point blank, you can't hand it over. Oh, no, no, absolutely no. I had that yes. one thing, you know what I did? I took them right to the Bible and showed them in the same scripture mm -hmm. where it said about people. And I told them the scripture and I said, now this is God's word, not mine. Mm -hmm. And it says in that same scripture about people that are greedy and how the people that are greedy and obese and all these things like this about people. And I said, so people in your church that are into, into pornography, I said, do you think they're going to heaven or hell? I said, people, because it says it had a list of all these different sins in here. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's two things that lead, Katie's going to show us a video once we get it up and running here. There's two things that lead people to repentance. It's godly sorrow, which usually comes out of relationship with Jesus, right? Christians get godly sorrow for sin. It's not unbelievers because they don't know Christ at that point in time and the goodness of the Lord. And I think too often there's a lot of Christians that haven't presented the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you can do is point them to scripture and, and know that God's heart for them is love. When you planted a seed, you let them to love. Questions of what do you do when they're a good person and and they're like, well, I'm fine. Good people go to heaven. That is a very common question. And I actually have a video that uh, is going to help answer some of those questions. I know we are at our eight o'clock cutoff, but if I can borrow five minutes and then we'll be done and we'll pray. But if you have to go, we understand uh, we won't keep you. But um, as soon as our amazing tech guy gets it all geared up, we'll watch it. Uh, but. It is, it is a big question. I myself had someone this week that I was polling a bit knowing we're going into evangelism and asked, asked about it, and, and it had come up that they were like, well, you know, the same thing Alyssa was sharing, that how can good people go to hell? And, and here's what I've realized is, is the temperature of our society, is that if sin is not so bad, then God's not so good. Right. If sin doesn't matter so much, then what does salvation mean? And so that's the temperature. So 
unfortunately, that means that we have to point out what sin is. Mm -hmm. It's not that we're judging the person, but we do have to draw a line and say truth is absolute and right and wrong is absolute. Mm -hmm. There is a cutoff (laughs) and you have to be on one side of the line or the other. And it is loving to say that. It is merciful to say that. Yeah, you know, it's it's love looks like discipline sometimes. Love looks like truth, and it's the hard truth. And it's mm-hmm. it's not fun to walk anybody there. It's, it's not an easy conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to surrender your right to be liked. Mm-hmm. You have to surrender your right for people to reject you and mm-hmm. your gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to show you this video. Go ahead.
So that's where our society's at right now. That that's where my age thinks. That that's where the next generation's thinking. It's colored a little bit of the previous generation, maybe a smidge, but mostly my generation and down. That's where they're at. This it's personal, depends. But God's very clear that there is an objective scale. So I hope that helped with some things. Um and again, we just thank you so much for coming out. It's a joy to be with you guys and to share with you. Uh, and we hope you'll come back next week. And do you have anything you want to add? Or are there any final questions, comments, concerns? Okay. I was just going to say, make sure you ask the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about the sticky, nitty gritty details of all this stuff because I know we, we won't throw anything, you know, too crazy, but there are some of those very real questions that come up in evangelism. Like, well, why does evil exist? And if God's good, why do bad things happen? Those are very real things that they face and they, they want to know the answers and we should have an answer. So, oh yes, honey. Yes. (laughs) We'll have lots of activation. We'll have lots of practice, lots of Mm -hmm. training, We'll break it down. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Want to pray to close us out? Sure. All right. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, we just thank you that you choose us to be your hands and feet. God, that, that you are, you've ordained us to be your priest in our community. God, may we take that call never so lightly. And may we be obedient to your commandments and be obedient to your great commission, God. And may we love those in front of us. May we become more aware of them. May we be more active at reaching out, loving them the way that you love them and seeing them. God, 
Lord, I just ask that you would remove the scales of the enemy who in our flesh, we just see behaviors and sin. We see dirty clothes and smelly bodies and foul language. Lord, let us see your children the way that you see them and love them the way that you love them. God, convict our hearts so that we repent. And repentance is changing the way we walk. So help us to go preach. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for this great gospel that has radically changed our lives. May we never take that for granted. The greatest miracle that ever happened in our life was the moment you drew us unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.